0: Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at CandeoChurch.com. Good morning. This is our fourth and final sermon in our Advent series in uh, week one. We talked about God with us in the beginning in creation. And in week two, uh, we saw how God was still with us even after the fall, after sin in Genesis 3 And last week, we talked about God with us in our humanity, specifically the person and work of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And this morning, uh, we're talking about God with us eternally in heaven forever. Now, when it comes to heaven, there's a lot of interesting questions that uh, we could ask about heaven, right? Will there be animals in heaven? I don't know. Uh, Will we be able to recognize one another in our resurrected bodies? Uh, Will we have belly buttons in heaven? I don't know. Uh, Will the Chicago Cubs be the only baseball team in heaven? That one's simple. The answer is yes. Uh, Amen, Andrew. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, What kind of food will we eat in heaven? I don't know. Um, But I I guarantee there has to be a truckload of Chick-fil-A sauce just waiting for us on the banquet table, right? Like the only thing on earth that's not tainted by the effects of sin, So I don't know, again, I don't know the answer to all those questions, but I am gonna propose three questions this morning that I think are the most important questions we need to be asking when it comes to heaven. And to answer these questions, we are gonna be in Revelation 21. And so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and start turning to Revelation, the end of your Bible. And the first question I wanna ask is this, very simply, what will heaven be like? What will it be like to be with God Eternally, We're in the book of Revelation. i got to give you a little bit of background and context. Uh, this is John, who wrote the book of John. Uh, he's exiled on the island of Patmos, and he's writing this book. This is um, a genre of literature called uh, apocalyptic literature. So uh, this is the unpacking of prophets' symbolic dreams and visions, similar to like Ezekiel and Daniel in the Old Testament. And you get to Revelation 21, and you, the first word of the first verse is then, And you, you get to that word and you've got to ask, well, what happened right before this? Well, if you read chapters 19 and 20, the, the tensions of the whole book of Revelation culminate in a final battle. And in chapter 19, it's like the famous picture of Jesus coming back on the white horse with his robe dipped in blood and the fire in his eyes, sword coming out of his mouth. Essentially, he's unleashing His righteous fury on evil. And you get to chapter 20, and Jesus destroys the dragon, uh, Satan, the ancient serpent that we saw in Genesis chapter 3, and all those who follow him. So essentially, Jesus returns as king, and he deals with evil and vindicates his followers. Now, when we hear this, that should resonate in our hearts. I believe that God has written that story in are hard. So why do you think that every classic adventure movie has this structure? Well, it's because this is what we want. This is what's wired in us for the enemy to be destroyed and for the vulnerable people group or the loved person to be saved just in us, right? I was just thinking of movies that had that as their structure. And I couldn't get past the letter A. Let me just go A movies. Aladdin. Aladdin defeats Jafar and he saves Jasmine. Avengers, they defeat Thanos and save half the world. Avatar, Uh, they defeat the humans that are infiltrating Pandora and they save the Na'vi people. Now, if any of those movies, anything that I just shared as a spoiler to you, that's not on me, it's on you. It's 2021, watch more movies, right? It's all pretty popular. Um, But Hollywood has made a lot of money on movies like these. Why? Because I believe God has etched that into our hearts. The only difference is that Aladdin is fiction, while revelation is our future reality. So after 20 chapters of unpacking how Jesus wins and how the devil and his followers lose, you get to the word then in chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Then John gets a vision of what is to come, this new created order, this new heaven and new earth, and the sea was no more. The sea was, back then, I mean, when you thought sea, you thought of chaos. That's where people went to die in a lot of ways, but there is no chaos in heaven. The old order and all things that have been tainted by sin and death are no more. This is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Isaiah 65 is one passage in verse 17 where God says, for I will create new heavens and a new earth. The past events will not be remembered or come to mind. So what was predicted in Isaiah 65 is now being fulfilled in what John is describing in verse 1. And to be very clear this morning, this is a real place. This is not a state of mind. Nick Center in our elder meeting said, this this isn't a pie-in-the-sky Heaven. We're not floating around as like disembodied spirits. No, this will be a physical heaven, physical earth, as real as you and I today, and we will be living in our resurrected bodies in the new heavens and the new earth. Verse two, I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride, adorned, For her husband. John sees the new Jerusalem, this holy city coming down like a bride adorned for her husband. If you continue to read in Revelation 21, John continues to expand on the beauties of heaven. So in verse 16, we see that it's a cube similar to like a perfect cube similar to the to Solomon's temple in the Old Testament. In verses 19 and 20, you see that the foundations are made with all of these beautiful jewels. I actually during my sermon prep just started google searching these just jewels that i'd never heard of in my lifetime it was, it was incredible. It's a, it's a great exercise. Like, man, the beauty of these jewels that the foundations will be built upon. Verse 21, the main street will be pure gold, transparent as glass. And in verse 23, there will be no sun or no moon because God's glory will be illuminating every square inch of the new heaven and the new earth. Essentially, this new Jerusalem will be full of glory and it's going to blow all of our minds. So one of the things that I get to do as a pastor, even as Jake mentioned this morning, is uh, premarital counseling and then also weddings. And I love uh, weddings. I love officiating weddings. And one thing that's just true in general of weddings is that um, the bride and the bridesmaids spend significantly more time getting ready than the men. It's just, it's true. So at 6 a.m., the women are up, and they're, they're got, they got their lattes and they're heading to downtown wherever to get their hair and their makeup done. They're in the robes. Meanwhile, the, like the groom is just waking up and he's at like some apartment or house playing Mario Kart with his buddies. It's like 90% of every wedding morning, right? But that's why the thing that I love about weddings, one of my favorite parts, is when the bride starts to walk down towards her groom. And I just, I, I mean... The bride's beautiful. We want to keep your eyes fixed on the the bride. But I also like looking at the groom. And I don't know what it is about watching grown men melt in public. That's like enjoyable to me, but it is, right? Just watching them come down, especially if they haven't had that first look. And I know exactly what is going through their mind in that moment. Because it's the exact same thing that I thought as Casey was coming towards me on our wedding day. Wow, she looks incredible. She actually looks like way better than I had ever thought or imagined. Christian, this will be our experience in heaven. As the new heavens, the new earth, this new Jerusalem comes down, we're gonna go, wow, I cannot believe that is our new home. It is infinitely better than anything I had ever thought, dreamed, or imagined. I promise you, heaven is a billion times better than anything you're thinking. It will never get boring. It will make Walt Disney World look like an old broken down sandbox with no toys in it, right? Your best moments of your best vacations will not be able to touch the realities of heaven. God is preparing a place for his people and it's gonna blow all our minds. But although this is true, all of those things are true, there's something that we cannot miss this morning. As amazing as the new city will be, that's not the best part of heaven. What will be the best part of heaven? It will be in the presence of God. It is that we will be with God. Read verse three. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. If you go to the Old Testament, the Israelites actually got a taste of this. Uh, go to If you go to Ezekiel 37, this will be on the screen, 27. God says, my dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. And the primary purposes of the Old Testament law, the tabernacle and the temple, was an opportunity for God to be with his people and for his people to be with their God. But there was always distance and brokenness because of the effects of sin. But in Revelation 21, we get a fulfillment of, Of all of these things as God is with his people unhindered for all eternity. If you go back to week one of our Advent series, Jake asked the question, What is the Bible all about? If you were to sum it up into a sentence, what's the Bible about? And he said, The Bible is about how God wants to be with people and how people can be with God. Over the past three weeks, we've been unpacking this. In that first week, we showed how God created the world and was with humanity unhindered. But then Genesis 3 happened and sin entered the world. Brokenness entered the world. But the good news of Christmas is that Jesus came on a rescue mission for us. He dwelt. He tabernacled with his people, lived the perfect life died the death we deserve, rose from the grave, and he created a pathway for us to have right relationship with God as we put our faith and trust in him. But the reality of today is, although the first advent has happened, the second hasn't come yet, which means there's still brokenness in our world today. He hasn't arrived a second time. But Revelation 21, what it does is it gives us a vision of the end of the story. The fulfillment of everything in the Bible. So let's just compare the, like the beginning of the Bible and the end of the Bible. Genesis 1 and 2, God creates heaven and earth. Revelation 21, God creates the new heavens and the new earth. Genesis 3, sin, death, and Satan enter onto the scene. Revelation 20, sin, death, and Satan thrown into a lake of fire. Genesis 1 through 2, God is with Adam and Eve unhindered in the Garden of Eden. Revelation 21, God is unhindered in his relationship with all of his saints for all of eternity. This is not just a temporary happy moment. This is an eternal reality. It will take us all of eternity to fully enjoy the goodness of our God. Being with God is the greatest blessing of heaven. Now, what are the implications of God dwelling with his people? What are the ripple effects of that? Well, when you think of the big story of the Bible, I think there's um, three helpful categories to think of when we talk about sin, okay? Penalty, power, and presence. Penalty, power, and presence. At the cross, Jesus paid the penalty of our sins, But as he rose from the grave and ascended to the right hand of the Father, he sent his Holy Spirit, who now empowers us to overcome the power of sin in this life. But Revelation 21, we see a picture of when Jesus comes back, he will free us all from the presence of sin forever. And what will that look like? Go to verse 4, popular verse. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Evil has been removed and the byproduct of all of it is no more death, grief, crying, or pain. This is another fulfillment of the Old Testament. Actually, that same passage, Isaiah 65, 18 and 19 says this, "'Then be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating.'" For I will create Jerusalem to be a joy and its people to be a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will no longer be heard in her. Revelation 21, 5, that verse 5 says that God is making everything new, which means that one square inch of all creation will be tainted by sin. God will reverse the curse and change everything. We will be in our resurrected bodies that will never grow weak, grow old, or sick. There will be no disappointment, no misfortune, no pain, no suffering. In the words of Sally Lloyd-Jones in the Jesus Storybook Bible, um, God will make all the sad things come untrue. Now here's the deal. That, that picture sounds amazing. I believe though it's, it's pretty hard for us to wrap our minds around that reality because all we've known in this life is pain, suffering, grief, and crying. It's all we've known in our lives or in the lives of others. So I want to give you just maybe a, a, a practical example to take us one step closer to understanding what heaven's going to be like. So um, my dad is a doctor. He's I've uh, been practicing family medicine for uh, 31 years. So I'm 33. And uh, actually they had me while he was in residency in Davenport. So all my life, all I've known about my dad is that um, he's a doctor and that's what he does, right? And I think like growing up in it, like, yeah, just dad's a doctor. It's just what, what was in the household. And, but I never like thought much. I think about like my dad doing his job in the community and how good he might be at his job. And uh, I took a job at, um, at our local hospital, my high school and college years in the summers as a physical therapy aide, and, and I would take patients back, and we would I- introduce ourselves and, and I'd say, my name's Jordan Perhoda." and they go, oh, wow, are, are you Dr. Prohoda's son? I say, yeah, I'm Dr. Prohoda's son. I guess I'm telling you, I had multiple patients after having that exchange look me in the eyes and go, your dad saved my life. Holy cow, I kind of forget that my dad's good at his job. Like that's what he does out in the community. Let's be honest, in my home, my mom was the doctor and the nurse because she's a legend and she's amazing, right? But my dad was out, I'm like, man, my dad's a pretty, pretty great doctor. Here's the deal. So let's just say this. When my dad gets to heaven, all of his doctor skills will be 100% useless. Isn't that weird? Like, if my dad opened a clinic in heaven, he would have zero patients for all eternity. Like, not one, ever. Why? Because the presence of sin will have been wiped away, which means the effects of sin will be no more. We will not need any doctors because we will be in the presence of the great physician. Are you getting the picture? No sin, no no pain, no brokenness. New Jerusalem, it's going to blow our minds. And the best part of it all is we are going to be in the presence of our heavenly father forever. So there you go. There's my attempt at answering the question, what will heaven be like? And honestly, we could spend the rest of the morning answering that question. Studying out this text has been one of my favorite sermons to study for. It's been so delightful for my own soul to go, what will heaven be like? But I want to move on and ask the next question. If that's what heaven will be like, do you long for that reality? Do you long for Revelation 21 to be with God eternally? You know, Philippians 1.21, Paul says that for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And in that statement, Paul's not being suicidal. He is just longing to be with God forever in heaven I believe the natural, one of the natural overflows of our salvation should be a natural longing to want to be with God forever. So growing up, I uh, loved Christmas. I don't hate Christmas now. I just really, really liked it back then. I was a big fan. Um, and in our home, in the Prohoda home, when Defe- December 1st came, my mom would pull out this, this uh, calendar, Christmas calendar, and it had, you know, 24 blocks and it had this little mouse, this like plush mouse that you moved across the calendar. And um, I, I actually was like, as I was studying for the sermon, I thought, I wonder if I could find, find that calendar, find a picture. Of it. Guys, I found it right away. I'll, I'll show it to you. This is what we had. So did anyone have this at home? Like this exact? Okay. If, if you do, I, this is on eBay right now. Guess how much? 325 $325 for a calendar. I was like, holy cow. But, that, but all, me and my brothers and my sister, we loved that thing. We were all about it. Like it was a fight to figure out who was going to move that mouse it, that morning, right? Because we wanted to get closer and closer to the 25th. Why? Because we had a pretty big vision of how great Christmas was going to be. We couldn't wait. And that stinking mouse was just a tangible way to build the anticipation. It built the excitement in our home. And here's what I want to say this morning. Our vision of heaven should be so great that our longing of heaven should be infinitely greater than a child's longing for Christmas. So let me ask, do you long for heaven? If Jesus were to come back tonight, would you just be ecstatic? Or would you actually be kind of bummed because there's more things you still wanted to do here on earth? Or if I were to ask it a different way, what are things you're holding on to now that if Jesus were to come back, you'd actually be kind of disappointed? You know, uh, I bet you my, my next paycheck, if I, if I asked any kid, what do you want for Christmas? Here's an answer I would never get. I just want to play with my old toys. I don't want any new toys. You'll never, parents, you'll never get that answer, right? They always got ideas on what's the next toy. what the new thing? My question is how often do we have that mindset? I just want to play with my old toys when it comes to Jesus coming back. Like, I really like my car or my house. I've got a, a great 401k, I like my gym membership, a golf membership. I like the way my body looks. I like the friends that I have in this season of life. If that is your mindset, my argument this morning is I just, I think you have too small of a view and vision of heaven. And if you don't have that mindset, if you don't have that longing, I would just say go back to question one and open up Revelation 21 and 22 and begin to grow your vision of heaven to grow and fuel your longing for heaven. Me as a child, I, had, uh, I was pumped for Christmas. Why? Because I had a clear vision and picture of what it was gonna be like. I didn't know all the gifts I was gonna get, but I just knew it was gonna be awesome. My vision of Christmas fueled my anticipation for Christmas. So do you have a vision of heaven that creates a longing for heaven? Those are my first two questions. What will heaven be like? And do you long for that reality? My last question is this. How does that change the way you and I live today? I think it's a fair question to ask. If all that's true, how does that change the way you and I live today? I want to spend the rest of our time answering this question. Uh, and I'm going to give you three things that I believe our anticipation should fuel in our life. The first one is this. Anticipation fuels our preparation. Anticipation fuels our preparation. If you go to the dictionary and search the word Advent, the, the definition you'll find is the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. So during this season, we look back at the arrival First arrival of Jesus, and we look forward to the second arrival of Jesus. And in a lot of ways, the message of Advent and really the message of the whole New Testament is, therefore, get ready. Be ready. Jesus is coming back. Our response should be to prepare and get ready. Because it's true, we always make decisions today based on what we believe to be true about our future tomorrow. I think it's pretty, understand, pretty easy for us to understand this concept, especially right now in this Christmas season, right? The first 24 days of December are, are preparing for day number 25. That's our, that's our month. We get the, the lights up on the house. We decorate our houses with all the Christmas decorations. We buy the gifts, we wrap the gifts, we make the cookies, we clean the house, we get the Christmas ham all ready to go. If you think about it, it's a lot of costly work to get ready for Christmas. And I'm saying if if we're willing to sacrifice that much for gifts under a tree or food on the table, the question this morning is how much more should we be willing to sacrifice when it comes to getting ready for Jesus coming back? What does that look like? What's it look like to be prepared for Jesus coming back? I think very simply we should shift our focus to the things that are eternal. When we prepare for Christmas, we we shift our focus to Christmas things to get ready for Christmas day. I'm saying in order to get ready for eternity, let's shift our focus to things that are eternal. I'll give you 3 things. That these things are eternal. God, his word and his saints. God, his word and his saints. People that are unprepared for Jesus coming back are the type of people who are apathetic towards their relationship with the Lord, who don't prioritize time in his word, and are not concerned with the salvation of others or helping other Christians persevere in their faith. If you want to be prepared, we focus on these things. It will be costly. You're going to have to say no to a lot of things in life to say yes to those things in this life. And the world will give you a buffet of options of things you could be consumed by. But what Revelation 21 is saying, be consumed with the right things. Colossians 3.2, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Christian, our call is to be prepared for eternity. So our call is to set our mind on things of eternal value. So the anticipation of Jesus' second coming of heaven fuels our preparation, but it also fuels our urgency. It fuels our urgency. Revelation 21, 1 through 7 is a beautiful picture of heaven. And then verse 8, we get a very sharp turn and a very weighty warning. And before we dive into verse 8, I just want to very simply say this. If you're new to Candeo, uh, we believe that all Scripture is God-breathed, that it is inerrant, which means it's all true, uh, which means we teach the whole counsel of God's Word and we don't skip over the hard or challenging passages. We roll up our sleeves and, uh, and we dive in. And verse 8 is no exception uh, because verse 8 is, is direct. And it is a tough one for a lot of us uh, to wrestle with. Um, but that doesn't give us permission to soften what God's Word has to say. So um, let me read verse 8. After unpacking the realities of heaven, John writes, But the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, Sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. What is the second death? The second death is uh, the eternal death for all those who refuse to submit to and follow Jesus. Uh, another word in the Bible used to describe the second death is hell. Hell. This is a challenging doctrine to talk about and to wrestle with, but the Bible is also very clear. Uh, verse 8 isn't a fluke. I mean, just go to, you go to the passage right before in chapter 20. It says, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. What is hell? Uh, I think Wayne Grudem's definition of hell is both helpful and very sobering says that hell is a place of eternal conscious punishment for the wicked it is a place that people actually go to that is eternal lasts forever and people are consciously aware of their punishment hell is uncomfortable because it's a horrible reality heaven will be way better than we could ever imagine and hell will be way worse but we have to ask the question, who does this apply to? It's an important question to ask. Well, what verse eight is telling us is this applies to everyone whose identity is consumed by the things of this earth and not the person and work of Jesus Christ. The reality is and that that might include some people who claim to know God, but have no relationship with Jesus and have not surrendered their life to him in full allegiance. And those who live this life, verse eight life, and walk the path of the second death will have a very hard question to ask for all eternity. Was it worth it? In light of verse eight, I want to give just a couple of encouragements this morning. Um, the first is this, uh, is if verse eight is currently true of you, um, I simply want to say there are two paths in this life and those paths are clear and you have a decision To make God's word and me personally, I would urge you to stop being consumed by the things of this earth and be consumed with the person of Jesus. To confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. To submit your life fully to him. Let this Christmas be the Christmas where you find eternal life. Where verse eight is actually an old path you were walking down. And now verses one through seven are your new future reality. That would be my first encouragement. My second encouragement is um, for all of those of you who are in Christ, as you head to your Christmas gatherings over these next handful of weeks, who is someone you know, whether a family or friend, who is heading down the path of verse eight? And my follow up question would be and what are you gonna do about it? Here's what I'm not saying <laughs> I'm not saying right before your Christmas dinner, you stand up to re- and, and pull out your Bible and read Revelation one eight. tell your family they're all going to hell and sit down. That's not what I'm saying. Don't do that and say, Pastor Jordan told me to do that. That's not what I'm saying. Here, here's what I am saying. I'm saying, who is that person that you're going to be intentional with this Christmas? Who's that person you're going to start praying for now? Who's that person you're going to try and have that spiritual conversation with as you guys get together in your family gatherings or whatever that might be? I was in the last couple connection groups I was in that I was rotating through. Both of them talked about what it looks like, what it will look like for them to be intentional um, with their family and friends this Christmas season. I was so encouraged by the conversation that they ended up having. And what I want to say, Christian, is don't wait until next Christmas. Let Revelation 21 create a sense of urgency in you today. Anticipation should fuel our preparation. It should fuel our urgency. And finally, anticipation should fuel our perseverance. What the Bible says is true is that all believers are sealed by the Spirit and empowered to persevere until we die. Uh, But our vision of the future will help us endure in this world today and not lose joy and not lose hope. We need to let the certainty of the future strengthen us today. Romans 8.18 says it this way. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us the glory of heaven will be infinitely greater than your worst suffering today. Therefore, persevere. We persevere, Christian, even when we take that unexpected trip to the hospital. Even when we lose the job that we really needed. Even when parenting feels really overwhelming. When anxiety and depression set in. And when your name gets dragged through the, through the mud because you associate with the person of Jesus Christ, we persevere when all these things come. Why? Because we know how great it will be when the king comes back and makes all things new. I want to give you guys a little bit of a life update in my world. Um, Casey and I are now parents, so that's exciting. We... Um, Thank you. Uh, I, knew, I knew there was going to be some of you that if I didn't mention this, I'd probably get my wrist slapped, so here it is. Uh, November 1st, uh, we had Asher Gray Prahoda. I brought one of our newborn pictures to show you guys. That's our family. And uh, if you've been with us here at Candeo, um, one of the last times I preached, I talked about John 16, 21. And this is what John 16, 21 says. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. So I I taught on that while Casey was still pregnant. Now Asher is here, and so I can report on how everything actually went. So uh, all that big picture, everything went great. The labor and delivery went super smoothly. But I'll tell you this, I've now been in a labor and delivery room as an expecting father it's a humbling place to be. I can't speak fully for Casey because it didn't happen to me, but to watch my wife in that much pain uh, was a pretty tough spot to be as a husband. I don't know if some of you fathers empathize with this, but as she's crying out, asking for it to stop, for the pain to go away, I just, I felt so helpless in that moment. But by God's grace, Casey endured and uh, gave us both a healthy mom and healthy baby and um, back when I taught, I, I showed you guys an ultrasound picture of Asher. And in that picture, he was, he was smiling. And it turns out that's actually not an in-the-womb thing for Asher. He's, like, smiling all the time. One of our friends, Laura, sent us a collage of some pictures of him. But yeah. And I, I, get, I understand that he's probably farting in half of these, you know, pictures or whatever. And it's the pressure release valve. But we don't care. We love seeing the smile. Here's the deal, labor and delivery was a tough experience for Casey, but when she looks into that smiling faith, you know what she says? Worth it. It was all worth it. Christian, this will be our experience in heaven. In the same way that Casey endured with the anticipation of Asher being here, we endure today with the anticipation of Revelation 21 coming. The glory of heaven and all that is to come is infinitely greater than the trials we have today. So, for all of you who are in Christ, when we get to the new heavens and the new earth, when we get into the presence of God, you know what we're going to do? We're going to look each other one in the eye, one another in the eyes, and you know what we're going to say? Worth it. It was all worth it. So what I want to do now is actually invite the band back up, and, uh, and here's the deal. I don't know all the things we're going to do in heaven, but one thing I do know that's abundantly clear in the Bible is that we will be worshiping our risen king forever. In the, the first advent, when Jesus came in that manger, shepherds and angels came, and what did they do? They worshiped Jesus. Christian, when we get to heaven, when the second advent comes, what will we do in heaven forever? We're going to worship Jesus. Uh, If you are familiar with the beginning of Revelation, John actually encounters Jesus and you know what his response is? Revelation 117 says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. John's only response to being in the presence of Jesus was to fall on his face. Christian, Christian, when we get to heaven, we will be in the presence of our risen king forever. He will be the consuming center of all of heaven. And my, my, my thing to you today is good luck staying on your feet. Because we are all going to fall down on our face and worship him forever. Revelation 5, 11 through 14 gives us a picture of this reality. It says, then I looked. And heard the voice of many angels around the throne and also of the living creatures and of the elders. Their number was countless plus thousands of thousands. They said with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea and everything in them say blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Verse 14, the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. Candale, this day is coming. But although this is a future reality that will happen someday, that doesn't mean we can't still sing about it today. And so what we're gonna do now is we're gonna sing that song we just sang, hymn of heaven, it's a new song to us this morning. But what I want to do is say, hey, Let's let's experience and get a taste of heaven today, this morning, right now. And as we sing this song, I want you to begin to expand your vision of the heaven that is to come and create that longing for Jesus to come back. So, church, would you stand with us? And we're going to sing about the heaven that is to come. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.